I don't know why Bill didn't ask me to do a duet with him. I don't know why. He knows why. Because <laughs> I do nothing without my singing golden retriever. <laughs> it doesn't exist. <laughs> um, Bill made a, uh, not Bill, uh, Mike made a, they're like the same. <laughs> uh, Mike made an announcement about possibly Tuesday going Christmas caroling. At about, I'd say maybe 4, 4.35, something to that. See, see, uh, see Mike. We've got cards and everything, and I didn't even think that we even have one of those things with scarves, the same color, scarves, red ones. Remember those? Yeah, we had them at one time. Somebody might have stolen them. I don't know. A number of years ago, I had a situation. Uh, it was really weird. It was really weird. I was uh, preaching in Greenwich Village. How many know where Greenwich Village is? Anybody want to raise their hand if you know where Greenwich Village is? Nobody knows where Greenwich Village is? Greenwich Village is a, is a section of New York City. It's uh, New York University's right there, Washington Square Park. You have no idea. I am shocked. I am shocked, shocked, shocked. Greenwich Village is an avant-garde type of, you know, a lot of artists. Uh, they have off-Broadway plays there, uh, uh, heavy, heavy on uh, LGBTQT, whatever the letters are now on that, heavy on that, and uh, et cetera. And uh, we were preaching, and the sidewalks are about like from here to the wall, of the, to that wall, uh, to the building. So they're short, they're small. And we were preaching in the open air, and I had my sketchboard, and I was preaching and just a regular normal message. And as I'm preaching, had a nice, a nice crowd of maybe about 40 or so. There came this, came into my meeting. And a uh, whole, whole bunch of younger people. And uh, it was during the summer. And uh, one of the guys that was there, he had a T-shirt with his sleeves rolled up a little bit. You know what I mean? It was one of those, like, hey, I'm a tough guy. You know, I didn't see any cigarettes in there or anything like that. And uh, he had his sleeves rolled up. And he had on the front of his T-shirt the Star of David which indicated to me that he's probably Jewish. Uh, but in, in his uh, standing there, and he looked mean. He looked, looked like he really wanted to tangle. He looked like he wanted to fight. That's what he wanted to do. I mean, I, it looked like it. And it had, through the Star of David, a fist coming right through. And it had on the top of, of it, J-D-L. Which is anybody know what JDL stands for? Yeah, Jewish Defense League, and uh, they they will they will fight you. You talk bad about Israel, you are anti whatever anti-Jewish or whatever. They'll come at you. I mean, they literally will. There's no questions about it. So <laughs> knowing this, seeing this crowd come into my group and this guy's standing there and he's looking at me very menacingly he's like like this 
And I'm going, huh? Uh, I changed my whole, uh, the verses I was using. I went strictly Old Testament. I went totally Old Testament. And I want to share with you uh, some of those verses that I preached on. I mean, like on the spur of the moment. I mean, right on the spot. And, uh, and I'd like this to talk a little bit about the time of Messiah's birth. There are three prophecies that we're going to discuss in the Old Testament talking about Messiah. Messiah. Now, Messiah is Hebrew, yada, for anointed one. And Christ is Greek for anointed one. So when we say Messiah, we're, saying, we're just speaking Hebrew. Uh, Hebrew, Messiah. Messiah. Yeah, I don't know how they say it. Uh, so uh, it really uh, is really powerful because the Old Testament tells us, gives us these three prophecies. Now, just to put it in perspective, if we did, I, I, I preached one time on five prophecies of the Old Testament for a camp, Pine Bush Bible camp. And uh, those five, my understanding at the time was that if you were to have uh, those five prophecies being fulfilled in one person, it was one times 10 to the 20th power. That's one times 10 with 20 zeros. The probability of those just those five being fulfilled in one person, right? There are over, there are over, well over. There are 333 Old Testament prophecies concerning Messiah. Can you imagine that? And that being what we're going to talk a little bit later. But one of them I would like us to know is is the one that we're going to talk about first is the time of Messiah's birth. The time of Messiah's birth, and the passage I'd like us to look at, if you'd like to turn there, is Genesis 49.10a, and this is not Canadian, it's uh, not A, it's the first half of the verse. And uh, you'll see this here, I got my trusty little pointer here, it's kind of weak, but it says this, okay, so the context, the context is you have you have uh, Jacob blessing his, his sons. And you see this, uh, see this, and uh, he says, talks about Reuben, he talks about Simeon and Levi, and then he talks about Judah. And then he goes on after that, Zebulon, Issachar, Dan, etc., Gad. But he gets to Judah, and in verse 9 it says, Judah is a lion's whelp. So these prophecies that his his dad their dad gave for each son okay so this is this is so significant it's unbelievable uh this is so significant and such a proof proof okay of the inerrancy uh the inspiration and inerrancy of the word of god as well as just what an evangelistic this is so evangelistic it's unreal uh, and using this, okay? So it says, he says, the, the lion, you're a lion's whelp from, my, <clears throat> from the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he crouched down, 
crouched as a lion and as an old lion who shall rouse him up. And then this verse, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Now this is not part of Neil Diamond's song. You know, Shiloh, when I was young, I used to call you. I find it interesting, by the way, I find it really interesting that when Neil Diamond, who is a Jewish cantor, before he broke into the record business, cantor, his father was a Jewish cantor, and he picks the name Shiloh. Why didn't he pick Alfonso or Alfonso and I was, I guess that wouldn't rhyme too good. But uh, it's not talking about, the Shiloh here is not talking about that. So it says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Now, each tribe had their own, each tribe, Israeli tribe, had their own scepter. So they had their own little scepter. It was, uh, it was the uh, idea of the right to rule. The, the right to rule. And here is, a, here is an ancient carving in whatever stone of a scepter. And uh, you know the story with, with um, Esther, right? She goes, if I perish, I perish. She goes in and she wants to save her people, right? So she goes before, she's the queen. She goes before the king. If he doesn't extend that scepter, she dies. I mean, there's no questions about it. They just take her, kill her, get rid of all of her junk, all of her friends, everybody. <laughs> you know, this is, you're dead. You're dead. So it is the the uh, the right for self-rule, the the ruling, the rule right here. And so uh, the scepter. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. In other words, your right, Judah, to rule and being a ruler, your right to be a ruler shall not depart, uh, the, nor a lawgiver shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. What that means is the, the procreation of, of the line. It's going to keep going, procreation of the line. So they'll always have a ruler. They'll always have a ruler. The scepter shall not, the, the ability for self-rule, and you will have a ruler. You will always have a ruler until, notice the prepositional phrase here, until what? Shiloh. Now the Orthodox Jews, Orthodox Jews will admit, they will readily admit that Shiloh is Messiah. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Interesting. So you have, you have the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Huh. So we know what that is. And then you have a situation, and then Shiloh's coming. So... When, when did Shiloh come? Well, the next question is this. When did Judah lose the ability for self-rule? When did they stop having self-rule? Well, you have the, you have the, uh, the, the self-rule was, uh, and you have here, 
I have a picture of Masada. So when Titus, the Roman general, came through, and he just wiped them out, he wiped out, he came through like a horse, you know, like locusts, right through Jerusalem, just wiped them out. The Sanhedrin didn't have any more, any more power. They didn't have anything like that. And uh, some of those people took off and went 20 miles south to a place called Masada. Masada, I think, was built by Herod. And uh, this, this, you can see it's a city on, on a plateau. It had its own aqueduct system, so they had water. And nobody could stop the water. And so when they went there, they went up there, the mountain, and uh, they stayed there, and the Romans couldn't touch them. I don't know if they went, <laughs> or anything like that, but they were, the Romans were so upset, so mad. Titus was so upset and so angry. I've been up on Masada here. I've been up in this area here. And as you walk the perimeter of Masada, you can look below and see Roman encampments, the outline of Roman encampments to this day. You can see where they had like a little wall around their encampment, where they had parapets, where the, you know, they had uh, people watching uh, to see if anybody was coming in, and all over around this Masada. And what they did was this. They, in fulfillment of prophecy, in Matthew, the Lord Jesus talking about uh, one stone will be left here, that kind of thing. They scraped the temple. And so you have the wailing wall, right? Well, that's the foundation of the temple. They dug down, that's the foundation of the temple. They scraped above it. You have no temple. And they took that debris and trucked it. They, I don't know how they trucked it, but mules or whatever. They trucked it 20 miles south because Masada is 20 miles south of Jerusalem. And they built this, a, uh, a causeway, a, a ramp. And what they did was they wanted to kill them. And they were, they, can you imagine being one of those rebellious guys up there looking at that and seeing that they're building this causeway over months after month after month and they're bringing debris up and they're putting it down and you have no ability to stop them and it's coming up and you know what they're going to do. And so what they did was they made a vow. The people on Masada made a vow, these Jewish people, and they said, we are going to kill ourselves. We will kill ourselves. And there was just a few, like a few ladies left uh, that they, they left there to explain to the Romans what, what took place. And all of them died when the Romans got up there. This isn't fulfillment. This is when they lost the ability for self-rule. They had no more ability for that kind of self, self-rule at all, any way, shape, or form. And this was, in fact, it's so it's so precious to the to Israeli army that the tank corps commanders, this is my understanding, that the tank corps commanders of the Israeli army go up there, each, each group, and they take the vow of Masada. And the vow of Masada goes like this. We will never be taken alive in combat. That's what the vow of Masada is to these soldiers. We will never be taken alive in combat. 
So they did this. And so the question comes back to this. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until what? They lost the ability in 70 A.D. So what does that mean? Say again? Yeah, Messiah had to come. Shiloh had to come. In fact, the Talmud says, the Talmud says, yes, we lost the ability for self-rule, but too bad, Schroeder, loose paraphrase of the Talmud, Schroeder, uh, you know, he's, he's an idiot, so, but when you, when you look at this, they said this, the Talmud says, we lost the ability for self-rule, but Shiloh, Messiah, has not come. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He did come. And so you have his first coming, Shiloh's coming. I was in New York City, and we were doing, it was the Feast of Booths. It was the Feast of Booths in, uh, in, Jew, in the Jewish calendar, and we were in New York City preaching in the open air. And uh, I went down to the Union Square Park, and, uh, which is a very avant-garde, 14th Street. You've been to Union Square Park. You have, Bill. Okay, so they had all these. They had Hare Krishna there. They had all these groups, right? But they had the Jews. They're Hasidic Jews. These are Orthodox Jews. And they built booths. As we were coming into New York from New Jersey, you could tell the Orthodox in that we were passing, we passed through in New Jersey an Orthodox community uh, of Jews. And then their driveways, they were building booths. Okay, it's the festival of booths, right? And they, they built these booths. And they were doing it in this Union Square Park. So it's really, really interesting because I went and I was talking to these Hasidic Jews from Israel. And they have a hat just like yours. Just, you know, a big broad brim hat. Put the hat on the yarmulke. Have the ringlets around their ears. Uh, if they're married, they have the beard. These guys were not married. No beards. And uh, the prayer shawls, they were young, young guys and very, very thick Israeli accent. And I came up to him and I said, so I love Israel. I've been there twice. I can't believe you guys. And they go, oh, that, you know, I can't even do a fake Israeli accent. It goes into a Spanish one. But, uh, you know, I, I, I was talking to them and we were having a nice conversation. Thick Hebrew accent but a nice conversation. And I said, uh, we were talking, I said, I've been to Jerusalem, I've been, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I said, can you guys help me for a second? They said, sure. I mean, they're rabbi, rabbinical type guys, you know. And I said, in, in the book of Genesis, 49.10, who here says the scepter shall not depart? From Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. I said, Who's Shiloh? They went stupid with English. They they couldn't speak English at all. I'm going, we just got done with this nice conversation. We don't know English. We don't know English. We don't know English. 
I said, you're a fraidy cat. You guys are fraidy cats. There's no questions about it. You're afraid to admit that the rabbis think that Shiloh is Messiah. And Messiah has to come. Messiah has to come. So we look at that, and that we, we look at this and we say to ourselves, wow, the significance of this is, is staggering. Genesis 49.10. You can use this on your, excuse me, on your friends, unsafe friends. Uh, and uh, so then let's talk not only about the time of Messiah's birth, the timing of it. It had to be before 70 A.D. Had to be before 70 A.D. Uh, let's talk about the place the actual place. And for us to do that, let's go to uh, Micah 5.2. Micah 5.2. Did, did somebody preach about this last week? <laughs> no, I hope not. Okay, so, yeah, Chris, you did. No. Micah 5.2. And uh, look, at, look at what it has to say. And it's really, really... Um, very interesting. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come, shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Wow. Wow. This is, this is, uh, why Bethlehem Ephrathah? I didn't make a mistake here. There's no mistakes on this. Because there's Bethlehem Zebulun. And that's 45 minutes north of Jerusalem by car. So there's Bethlehem Zebulun. This is Bethlehem Ephrathah. This is five miles, five miles south of Jerusalem. Five miles south of Jerusalem. You, know, you don't have it here on this map, but that's Jerusalem. You just go five miles. We could walk to it. I've been there a couple of times, and the first time I was there in 1984, I was so shocked when the, when the guy told us, oh, here we are in Bethlehem. I'm going, we are? There wasn't even a, a light there. There was no stoplight. There was no McDavid's. There was, there was, uh, there was nothing there. I mean, uh, just except the guys following us, trying to sell us junk. One dollar, one dollar, one dollar. And uh, it was in Bethlehem that the guy actually gave me. I said, I don't have a dollar for you. He goes, oh, you just take this, you know. <laughs> and I thought, you know, uh, I talked him down. That's what I did. Okay, so it was great, but that was in Bethlehem. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. What city is the city of Bethlehem, Ephrathah? Whose city is that? Huh? David, city of David, that's right. I find it fascinating. I find it fascinating. Uh, did you know that Caesar Augustus did not go to the Moody Bible Institute? I don't think, <laughs> I don't think he went to any kind of a seminary at all. Uh, Caesar Augustus, I don't think he was a Christian. Um, and I don't think he had anything in mind when you look at Luke chapter 2, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. This is not on the screen here. Uh, I was lazy. But uh, Luke chapter 2, and you're going to see something that is so powerful. This is, this is Luke chapter 2. 
You find it in here. It says, it came to pass, verse 1, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. They wanted to know what the Roman Empire had in terms of population and demographics and all that kind of stuff, right? And uh, this registration was first made when Quinarius was the governor of Syria and all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Now, if we were to follow the line of Joseph and Mary, we would find one through Nathan, one through one through directly from uh, David. You'd find that David, the city of David, Joseph, was that was his city. And he had to go there. So that's why he took Mary. He took both of them needed to be in Bethlehem. This is amazing to me. Uh, when you look at the timing of this, it's just absolutely stunning that he causes this. She's impregnated by the Holy Spirit with Messiah. And now it's law, Roman law, for them to go and register in their in their hometown, of this, their, their particular city. And Joseph's particular city was Bethlehem, Ephrata, five miles south of Jerusalem. The place, it's a small place. And in those days, really small. It's commercialized a little bit now since 20, uh, 2012. Uh, I was there in 2012, and they have hotel and, and that kind of stuff there. But Bethlehem is, a, is a still a small little place. Though thou be little among all the thousands. You know, not a big one. Little. Out of thee shall come forth to me a ruler in Israel. So this was so significant that Herod, when he found out that these guys, these individuals... Uh, the kings came and, and they went out another way. He got mad. And what did he do? Do you remember what he did? He killed. He sent an army in and killed every male under the age of two. Two and under. Killed them under the age of two. God warned Joseph in a dream that he should avoid and get out and go to Egypt. And that's, I mean, that's fulfillment of prophecy. We're talking prophecies all over the place coming here, uh, doing that. Out of my, I'll call my son out of Egypt, etc. Et and uh, you have here, but when the fullness of time was come, I mean, think about this just for a moment, if you would. When the, this is Galatians 4.4. 4. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. You think about that just for a moment. The, the, the converging, you know, people who believe in the stars, you know, the converging of, of times, of the, of the timing is absolutely incredible. The capital of the world, political capital of the world was what? Do you remember? Rome, the intellectual capital of the world was, huh, who? Yeah, Athens, exactly. And the capital, religious capital of the world 
was Jerusalem. You have these guys converging. You have Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. You have the, you have the Aegean Way. You have all these. You, they still use the bricks, uh, the roads that these, the Romans were on. During World War II, they bricks all over the place, and they, they built their roads with those bricks because of the Romans. The Romans did that. And it's amazing. When I was a kid, my street was bricked. Total bricks, you know, and that uh, was really for tanks. So you could run up in tanks up and down without cracking the cement, etc. So you put little bricks in. But not, that wasn't the case for the Romans, but the, the, the Panzer divisions and all those guys used that. The, the Italians used that. You've got this converging of history. It's really his story, isn't it? It really is his story. So you have here, and it's also a place of incredible butchery. Can you imagine how big Bethlehem wasn't? <laughs> Bethlehem was small, and they wiped out their male population, two years and younger, wiped them out. They didn't leave anything to chance, except the Spirit of God sent an angel to talk to, to Joseph and send him out. So Messiah wasn't there. Messiah was not there. But out of this little place, this little obscure place, by the way, this is 8th century that this prophecy took place. By the way, with Genesis 49, that's about fifteen to 2,000 years prior to the birth of Christ. 2,000 years. 1,500 to 2,000 years. 700 years or so before Messiah was born. So the United States is approximately 250, right? Approximately. And uh, so double that. Just double that. What do you got? You got 500. You got another 200. 200 more years. And this prophecy was given at that 700 years approximately prior with, with, with Moses writing in Genesis 49, 1,500 years before that would ever take place. Wow. Wow. I, I, I am just blown away. You know, when we talk about prophecy, you know, you say, well, how do I prove the Bible? How do I, how do I share with people? I, I, God, God proved it himself. Isaiah 48 tells us this and he says i have declared the former things from the beginning and they went forth out of my mouth and i showed them and i did them suddenly and they came to pass going down to verse five i have even from the beginning declared this to you declared it to you before it came to pass i showed it to you lest you should say mine idol hath done them and my carved image and my melted image hath committed or commanded them. You can't say anything else. God did this. You can't say that. Anything else but that God did this. Does God exist? You betcha he exists. And most people would say, yeah, God exists. But is he in, in, uh, in, uh, involved in the affairs of men and women in history? You betcha he is. So that, what does that mean? It means he's involved in your life. God is involved in your life, personally involved in your life. God 
God knows you personally. All the affairs of mankind, but yet He can focus on you as if you were the only one He was really thinking about. This is how powerful our God is. How loving and focused our God is. So you have here the, the place, and it's the place of butchery, just a, a terrible place um, that happened after the escape of Messiah. And then you have not only the time and place, but also the manner. Which way, in which way was Messiah born? Well, Isaiah 7.14. I, I can't call him a friend, because he really wasn't, but... Uh, his name, wow, his name is Scott, is Dr. Somebody, I forget his name. Uh, Doc Fox, that's it, Dr. Fox. He taught statistics at Michigan State University. I'm preaching in the open air. I'm preaching in the open air, and this guy, Dr. Fox, is standing over near a tree, and he's looking pretty smug about stuff, and he goes, uh, I got a question, and now we, we train people, and a lot of you have taken our seminar on open-air evangelism, and, and you know that we don't, we don't let somebody interrupt what we're doing. We're there for proclamation, not controversy, you know? I made the mistake, though, and uh, I said to him, I said, uh, yeah, what's your question? <laughs> Bad move. Bad move on my part. He said, um... Isaiah 7.14. Is that virgin a maid? Isn't that virgin just a maid? What about Isaiah 7.14? So I, I gave my best answer, and it, it didn't satisfy him. It didn't satisfy him at all. So afterwards, I went up to him and talked to him and gave him more, more information and he just, he was blowing me off. He was a scoffer. He didn't care what I had to say. I could have said Mickey Mouse is the savior of the world. And, he, you know, he probably would have been happy with that, you know. But I thought to myself, man, this guy. So every time I preach in the open air during that fall semester, uh, Fox would stand there. I have a, <laughs> this guy's like a peat and repeat, you know. I have a question. What about Isaiah 7.14? I said, I've talked to you about Isaiah 7.14 on a private basis. In fact, I, I got so frustrated, I said to him, I, I said to him afterwards, I, after we were preaching in the open air, and I'm, I followed him to his office building, which was across the way. I followed him to his office building, and I said, we're praying for you, just want to let you know, I'm asking people to pray for you across this country. He goes, don't do that. I said, we are. We're praying, and you can't stop us. We're going to be praying, and we're praying for you. And he goes, don't do that. So I'm, I'm, I'm preaching one day, and he says, I have a question. <laughs> Can you guess what it was? Isaiah 7, 14. Is that talking? And I go, I said, I have a question for you. That's a tactic the Lord Jesus used. Answering a question with a question. Okay, so I, I said, I have, a, I have a question for you. If somebody came up to you, Dr. Fox, and said to you that they had lymphoma stage 4, what would your advice be to them? And you know what he did? He went just like this. 
to the hole. I mean, this is about 75 people. Boom. Boom, like this. I said, I ignored him, and I said, let me tell you something, folks. He has no answer to your life. I'm telling you right now, Jesus does. Jesus does. But Isaiah 7.14, it says, the Lord, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Notice what a sign. If this is a, a maid, just a maid, a woman that's never been married, what's the big deal about the sign? You know? And then also, behold, a virgin shall conceive. And this a virgin here, well, it's just a maid woman, she'll conceive. You know, no, 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 no. <clears throat> it's Alma in the Hebrew, which can mean woman, it can mean maid, it can mean un, a woman that never had uh, carnal knowledge uh, with anybody, but yet conceives, right? Conceives and bear a son, his name shall call Emmanuel. I love that, you know? Can you imagine that? God with us, lunchtime! God with us, your dad Joseph wants to talk with you. You know, all this kind of stuff. God with us, that's exactly what it means. God with us. Being translated God with us. And so, to the Hebrew, names mean things, you know? They really do. They mean things. They should behold. And it's an interesting thing, this word virgin here. Uh, this word virgin is a big one because the Old Testament was translated from the Hebrew into the Greek, and it's called the Septuagint. They finished the translation 258 or 250 BC. So 250 years before Messiah ever came on the scene, you've got this translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And how do they translate this word? Not by Bethula, they translate it, which means maid or you know, unmarried woman, Bethula in the Greek. They translate it Parthenos. Parthenos. And so Parthenos here is it means a woman that never had carnal knowledge before, but yet has is going to have a baby. She conceived, Parthenos conceived and bore a son. So much so that Matthew uses the word Parthenos. In fact, in his, in his translation of this event, and in fact, the Lord Jesus himself used a translation, and he used, when he was preaching, he used the Septuagint. He used the Septuagint. And so, if it was good enough for Jesus, you know, he'd go, do you like the ESV or the Septuagint, Lord? You know, I've, I've been using the Septuagint, you know. But... Um, so you have here the conceived. So what happens at the end of my slide? That's what happened. Uh, yeah, so conceived. <laughs> what took place at the end of my slides? It was a tragedy. Okay, so you have this, you have this situation. And uh, she bore she, virgin birth. It wasn't the birth that was miraculous. It was the conception that was miraculous. And Isaiah 9, 6, just turn the page over if you're in Isaiah. Unto us, for, it says, for a child, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The eternal son of God. And the government shall be, shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful, 
Counselor, the Mighty God. Wow, calls him God. And then it says the Everlasting Father. In the Hebrew, it's the Everlasting Father of Eternity. Now that's a, that blows my mind. How does that how does that work? You know, he's the eternal, he's the author of eternity, the Prince of Peace. In the increase of his government and peace shall be there. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon the kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice and with righteousness and henceforth from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of Hosts will perform this and so it has been and he's talking about the millennial reign when he's going to reign for a thousand years for sure and he's going to rule the world with a rod of iron but he first came he first came and uh i can't go backwards but uh he first came for us these are just three if we were to look at of the 333, just 48. It's the, the, that being fulfilled in one person, 48 of those, of those verses in the Old Testament, of the 333, 48. 1 times 10 to the 157th power. Can you imagine that? 1 times 10 to the 157. That's 10 with 157 zeros. I think I shared this with you before, but I have a friend of mine, his name is Phil Flights, and Phil Flights is a, is a really great guy, wonderful guy. He uh, he's a, has his doctorate from University of California, Berkeley, which gives out more doctorates than anybody on the planet, including Harvard, Yale, and all that kind of stuff. So if you got a doctor from Berkeley, that's a big deal. That is a big deal, and he has it in applied applied uh, sciences so what did he you know he's he's listening to me to these kids at pine bush bible camp and he's a counselor and uh (laughs) it's really funny i did five i talked about the probabilities of that we had all this kind of stuff going and uh i said he came up to me the next day and he didn't smell real good his breath was kind of bad his hair was disheveled, <laughs> you know, his hair like this, and he's still in his clothes. He said, Chris, he went back to the cabin with the kids, put the kids down, and, uh, I mean, let, let them go to sleep. And then, and <laughs> let, them, let them go to sleep. And then he, he worked all night on a spiral notebook, and he, he started, he goes, look at this, look, look at this. He's going, kind of backed up because it, it was ripe. So he's, he's going like this, and he's showing me all the calculations he was doing in longhand. <laughs> he's, just, he's showing me this. He's going, he said, Chris, I just want to let you know something. With this wild-eyed hair on fire, he goes, I just want to let you know something. There's not... The probabilities of 333 prophecies being fulfilled in one person, there's not enough molecules in the universe to represent that number. And Jesus did it. Jesus did it. So when we, when we look at this, and this, you know, we, 
we uh, are so thrilled with the idea of of uh, Christmas and all the toys and all that kind of stuff. Man, the greatest gift. And and we can't really comprehend the depth of His love, the depth of His giving. We, we see, yeah, we see He gave, and you, you can't really love without giving. And, uh, and all, of, all of that He is for, and means for us, we will take forever to find that out. We will take forever to find that out. And what a wonderful, wonderful thing it is. I, um, we've looked at the time, the place, and the manner. There's uh, 330 more to go. So we're calling in pizza. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. Uh, we're actually not going to do that. As I preached on that day in Manhattan, in Greenwich Village, I was preaching like crazy, and I changed everything. I started going to verses like this because I saw a lot of Jewish, a lot of Jewish, and I changed my whole thing. I stopped talking about trusting Christ. I said trusting Messiah. I stopped, you know, I, I, my whole vernacular changed everything. And as I was preaching, this kid with, who was like this, he was like, I thought he wanted to fight me. You know, he's like this, and he was like this, as we talked, and then he was like this, his friends left. They said, come on, come on, come on. He goes, no, I want to hear this guy. I want to hear this guy. And he, he uh, was standing there, and his hands were in his pockets now, and he's listening, he's softening, his countenance was softening. I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching this guy, I'm going, this Jew is going to trust his Messiah right here. This is fantastic. And as I was getting to the in, invitation for, to trust the Messiah as your Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, trust Him as your Savior, his little entourage came back and said, come on, let's go. And he said, no. And they started grabbing him and pulling his arm, and he said, no. So they all got together, and they picked him up over their shoulders and walked him right out. I've never seen anything like it before in my life. Never seen anything like that. They didn't want him to trust Messiah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable taking place. Messiah. These prophecies of Messiah's birth. What a wonderful Savior. You can take this home. And uh, as somebody put it, you can take this to the bank and you can talk to people about this. This is really great. Can you help me? Genesis 49.10. Can you help me? Micah 5.2. 700 years before. Isaiah 750 years prior to the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Father, we just thank you so much for your grace and your love that you have shown us. Thank you. Bless this to us, Lord. As we meditate on this, we thank you. We ask you to really help us. And uh, bless the Christmas caroling and help us to reach this neighborhood for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.